this morning. Um, as we get to Psalm 23, uh, let me read it for you and then, and then we'll get into it. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. In his course on soul keeping, John Ortberg introduces a wonderful story and I'm going to read it to you. I hope you like it. There once was a town high in the Alps that straddled the banks of a beautiful stream. The stream was fed by springs that were as old as the earth and as deep as the sea. The water was clear like crystal. Children laughed and played beside it. Swans and geese swam on it. You could see the rocks and the sand and the rainbow trout that swam in the bottom of the stream. High in the hills, farther than anyone's sight, lived an old man who served as the keeper of the stream. He had been hired so long ago that now no one could remember a time when he wasn't there. He would travel from one spring to another in the hills, removing branches or fallen leaves or debris that might pollute the water. But his work was unseen. One year, the town council decided they had better things to do with their money. Nobody supervised the old man anyhow. They had roads to repair, taxes to collect, and services to offer. And giving money to an unseen stranger had become a luxury they could no longer afford. So the old man left his post. High in the mountains, the springs went untended. Twigs and branches, and worse, muddied the liquid flow. Mud and silt compacted the creek bed. Farm waste turned parts of the creek into stagnant bogs. For a time, nobody in the village noticed. But after a while, the water was not the same. It began to look brackish. The swans flew away to live somewhere else. It no longer had the crisp scent that drew children to play by it. Some of the town began to grow ill. Everybody noticed the loss of sparkling beauty that used to flow between the banks of the stream that fed the town. <coughs> you see, the life of the village depended on the stream, and the life of the stream depended on the keeper. So the city council reconvened. The money was found, the old man was rehired. After yet another time, the springs were clean, the stream was pure, and children played again on its banks. And illness was replaced by health. The swans came home. The village came back to life. The life of the village depends on the health of the stream. The stream is your soul, and you are the keeper. The Lord is my shepherd, so I lack nothing, says David in Psalm 23, verse 1. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. What is a soul? It's a question I, when I got to this verse, I was like, oh, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> Another one for Josh to preach. Um, there's, there's actually hundreds of references in the Bible about the soul. And the New Testament switches between words when it's, when it's talking about the soul. Sometimes it uses the word spirit. Uh, but it, there's hundreds of references, all the New Testament, to this thing called the soul. Jesus also spoke about it, so it's probably something we need to know about. Jesus said, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So I want to try and understand it. Uh, there was a guy named Thomas Aquinas who was a philosopher and theologian, and he left behind for us a, a fairly understandable definition of it, and, and he's going to help us, and a few others are going to help us. He wrote, The soul is in the body, but not as contained by it, but rather containing it. 
um, if that sounds confusing, it's, it's really not. What he's saying is, while the soul belongs in the body and is in the body, it, it's more than the body, it's bigger than the body, it, it does something more profound than what the limits of your body are able to do. Um, Robert Barron explains, he says, the deepest and most abiding dimension of a person's existence is the soul, that which, part, uh, that which puts the person into contact with God. Stay with me because we're getting closer and closer to it. Dallas Willard used to do a drawing to show people what the soul was. He would draw four circles and uh, here we go. The first circle was the will. And the will is what makes, a hu- what makes us human, gives us the ability to make decisions. You, you have a will, I have a will. In fact, you can even legalize your will, right? You can have a will when you're not even here anymore. That's a little bit different, but uh, there is a will inside of you that, that points to, that you want to make, you make decisions out of, that makes you human, that makes you an individual, a person. That's your will. Uh, then there's the, the next circle, which is the mind. This is the sense of your thoughts and your feelings. Any of you have thoughts and feelings about things? Yeah, most of us in the West, we're taught to have strong thoughts and feelings about everything. Um, so here's your mind. The, uh, if you have thoughts and feelings, that's your mind that you're exercising. Then the next circle is the body. Uh, and we wouldn't be ourselves without a body. No one's here. No one's in an embodied form of, a disembodied form of them, themselves today. No one has left their body at home and arrived as smudge, just sitting on a seat. You, you bring your body wherever you go. Your body is you. You are your body. Uh, but your body has appetites, desires, longings as well. Um, and then, around that, and, and, and interestingly enough, sorry, even when Jesus talks about the resurrection of the, <laughs> of the dead, it's that our bodies will be raised as well. We're not going to be these floating spirits in heaven. We're going to be embodied beings uh, in heaven, which is really exciting. I don't know if we're going to have beards or not, Josh, but we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> Um, and then around that is the soul. Uh, not, not around that, but the, the next circle is the soul. Um, and the soul is what integrates all those parts. It's what harmonizes all those parts. And, and this is, as Willard says, this is what makes you an integrated person. Uh, integrated person meaning all of your parts are in harmony with each other. Um, your will and your thoughts and your feelings and your habits are in harmony, you're moving in a single direction, your soul, you are an interconnected, integrated, healthy person. Um, or you can be a disintegrated person. Who, who, can you get the idea of that? I mean, no, that doesn't sound attractive, but we've all experienced it, being disintegrated, that our, our mind or our thoughts, our feelings or our habits or our wills are not in line. They're not in tune with one another. And, that, you know, even Paul experienced something of that. You know, I don't do what I want to do. I, I do do uh, the things I don't want to do, Paul writes in, uh, in, in, in his writing. Um, that Paul the great apostle, sorry for those of you who don't know who's Paul. Paul the guy in the Bible, you know. This disintegration this, or this disharmony for, in periods of or moments of time. Uh, and our soul connects us and connects us to God. Um, and so an integrated person is a person whose will and mind and body are brought into harmony by the soul. And so collecting these ideas, our soul is in our body, but it's much greater than our body. Um, our soul, it connects us with God, so we all have the ability to connect with God, which is wonderful and great. I do have a goldfish at home. Uh, the question is, can you know, children ask, do fish or, or any animals go to heaven? I'm not sure. If it is going to go to heaven, it would need to have the ability to connect to God. 
Um, I'm not sure if it does or not. It doesn't look to me like it does, uh, but potentially. Um, but, but you and I do. Every one of us do. And so we have the ability to connect to God. And then thirdly, it integrates or connects all the parts of our being so that we can be a healthy person, healthy soul, healthy person. You get in the, the drift of, of it? I can't draw it for you. Uh, the mind, the will, the soul, good luck trying to draw any of those. So why would anyone who's under Jesus' care, why, why would any of his sheep need to have their soul restored? G- David is one of Jesus' sheep. He, and it's not a past tense phrase. He doesn't say, the Lord is my shepherd. He restored my soul. It says, he restores my soul. So why would you and I need the restoring of our souls? We know we needed the, the, the renewal of our souls. We know we needed Him to bring us to life from death. We, we know that we needed the touch of Jesus in our lives. But why would we, if we're walking with Jesus, if He's our Lord and Savior, why would we need Him to restore our soul? Baron says, If your soul is rightly ordered, it can handle anything. But if your soul is disordered, it can handle nothing. That means a healthy person or someone who's well-connected to God and is integrated as a person can face anything in life, can face success or failure, can, can face wealth or poverty, can face unpopularity or popularity, can face demotion or promotion. And that's what he's saying, is if your soul is healthy, if you're well-connected to God, you can face any of those things, and you'll be fine. But if your soul is not well, if you're not well with God, they will all destroy you. You can face nothing. Jesus, again, says, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Paul understood this full well. Listen to Paul. Tell me, serious question, not rhetorical. Does it sound like, Paul understands a healthy soul and, and, and the experience of it. He writes in Philippians, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned to be content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. Do you think the Apostle Paul understood a healthy soul? Yeah. And I'm going to raise my hand, but who would like, like Paul, would like to say, I would love to learn how to be content. I would love to learn how to have a healthy soul in all circumstances. So Paul had this integrated life, and yet there were moments where Paul needed to have his soul restored as well. Okay, so the reason that a Christian's soul or David's soul Uh, or your soul or my soul (laughs) might need restoring is that we don't care for our soul. Remember John Ortberg's story, the stream is your soul, the keeper is you. What happened to the stream? The stream was the stream, but the keeper didn't take care of it, didn't clean out the He left for a while and the soul got, got, it, it kind of drifted. In other words, if you do nothing, it's going to be unhelpful for you. Uh, There's something we need to do in keeping our souls um, that keeps us healthy. And, and here's the major problem. Our lives have been influenced by a worldly sense of success, a worldly uh, view of life. We all have grown up in a culture. Uh, you can't grow up cultureless. And John Stott says that culture blinds, deafens, and dopes us. In, in other words, we can't see it. It's just the way we view things in life. It just, it just is. That's how, that's our starting point. 
and the culture that we are in uh, makes us something which, um, which was from the beginning the problem, which is self-obsessed. Now, we had a few hands up for wanting healthy souls, but I don't think we'll have any hands go up to admit that we are self-obsessed. But I'll admit it for all of you, you are prone to being self-obsessed. I am prone to being self-obsessed. And without Jesus' help, we will be self-obsessed. Even if you are completely others-orientated, you may be completely self-obsessed, and your others' orientation is because of your self-obsession. And it makes you feel good, or it gets you acclaim, or it... Whatever the, you see how you can be self-obsessed and still look outwardly like a generous or kind or giving person. Potentially, I'm not saying everyone is. So whether we, we will for worldly acclaim or success or security, that's remember that we're, like is it in the will that we want, we want pleasure or success or wealth or ease? Is it in our will? Is it in our thoughts or our feelings that, that we long for something? that we think about something, uh, that, that a life that we want for ourselves, or um, thoughts that just are contrary to God's revealed truth, things that we believe. It, it, you, you can believe with your thoughts, or you can believe with your feelings, that we know, you know, God's truth says this, but this is, this is the reality of my thoughts and my feelings. That we, our thoughts and feelings aren't aligned with God's truth. There's a self-obsession. In other words, your thought, your feeling, is placed higher than God's revealed truth. Do you, you understand that? This, this can work out like this. I mean, when you, decide, when you walk with people or disciple people, it's real. It's on the ground. Get it, get it to a ground level. You sit with someone and you say, God's your father. And they might say something like, I know the Bible says that, but I don't really feel like he's my father. And they've had a rubbish life and a terrible example of a, a loving father. And so they just can't see it. But what they're doing in that moment is they're placing their felt truth above God's revealed truth and saying, that might be what he says, but it's not my experience. And our journey as Christians is to take all those feelings and thoughts and to place them beneath God's revealed truth. What does He say is true, is true, and I've got to learn how to uh, walk in that and understand that. I might have some obstacles and challenges to that. I might go through some real uh, kind of healing, uh, healing of real deep pains through that, but ultimately His truths have to come on top. But self-obsession puts my truths on top. And we are in a culture where that is uh, your truth is your truth. That might be good for you. It's not good for me. Don't tell me what to do. I won't tell you what to do. Do what's right for you. Right? All those things will put you above the revealed truth. Well, what about the habits? What about the body? That we have habits that disobey God. We know what God says. We know what God wants. We know what God asks for our lives. But our habits, our going about our daily life, may be in opposition to God. Maybe, I know what God said, but I'm just not there yet. And I know this isn't, I don't really, and our habits reveal that actually someone else is leading our lives. We're obedient to ourselves rather than God. In moments, I mean, we're not talking about every single, every single moment of life. So we've become self-obsessed. This is the problem with, with why we need our soul restored, because we are self-obsessed. Let me show you in our culture. Help me out. You, you finish the sentence. Imagine someone, imagine you are facing opposition. What would be the common advice? What might you even may, maybe say? Let's, say? let's say the common advice, let's just leave it outside this room. What's the common advice out there? Someone is facing opposition. Someone might say, stand up. Thank you. For yourself. Stand up for yourself. When you are nervous about a situation, believe. Believe in yourself. Oh. When you are stressed about a situation, someone might say, take care. Of yourself. 
When you're thinking about fashion or tattoos, it's a great way to express yourself. Now everyone with tattoos just pull their arms into their sleeves. <laughs> That's not the point at all. But do you see how our culture is so self-obsessed that it's in our street language? We, we see a situation and our first instinct to counsel each other is the obsession of self. Take care of yourself. Stand up for yourself. But as Christians, none of that means anything to us because we know that He's the one who cares for us. He's the one who takes care of the... Uh, except, I don't want to get... We're still working towards the end, so I don't want to get, get there too fast. <laughs> what, did, what did you say? Yeah, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Yeah. Calm, calm yourself, Mark. That's actually probably a good one to say. Calm, your, calm yourself. Rein yourself in. So, but John, John Altberg asks this great pastoral question. Here's the, thing I, here's the thing I think I'm always trying to do, and I, and I hope you see it. Whatever it is that we know to be true, whatever it is that we believe, whatever God reveals in His Scripture, we've always got to ask the question, how does this get worked out? How does it look on the ground? And here you see, and if you didn't, you know, here you see, maybe you didn't believe you were self-obsessed before, but then as soon as you hear all the advice that we get, you go, oh, oh wow, it's, it's right there. And so we, we want to ground these things. So John Ortberg asks this great question. He goes, that's, that's all good and well about being self-obsessed, but, 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 but what if yourself is a train wreck? Whoa. Good question. In other words, what if trusting yourself is not a great idea? And so gaining what you want from the world is often not a good idea. And this is what Jesus is teaching, that if you follow your will or your mind or your, your, your body in terms of habits, thoughts, feelings, uh, will, you might get what you want, but it ultimately won't satisfy you. You'll ultimately realize that you've gained nothing. And so our world understands one direction. I don't want to, you know, God created the world, so I don't hate the world, but we're talking about a culture that's in opposition to God. The, God has made a beautiful creation, but every part of it that stands in opposition to God is unhealthy. And the way that worldly cultures or secular against God culture runs, which is the majority of, of our culture, 97% of Perth is practicing secularism, regardless of what they say about their faith. In other words, uh, there's, a, there's very few people who are trying to figure out what the culture of the world versus what the culture of God says. So we're in a great situation to think about it. So, uh, tell me if this is right, that the world sees a, a movement, this is the movement the world wants, from lower to higher, from lesser to greater, from low esteem to high esteem, from low income to high income, from a lower position to a higher position, from a lower state to a higher state, the greater respect, honor, and approval, security, admiration, power, popularity you get, the, the more your life is moving in an upward trajectory. Would you agree that the world... That's what we're all taught, right? It's normal. That's normal. Before you think, that's just the life that we have. And yet, uh, Jesus says again, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? What profit is there really if you climb this ladder all the way to the top and realize that when you got there, you lost your soul? You lost the thing that connects you to God. You lost your integration. You are an, an empty vessel. Jesus is saying something profound. 
He's saying you can have every single thing. You can have every wish. You can have a genie in a bottle that grants you everything. And you can get to the top and realize you have nothing. So Jesus must really understand things. He must understand our world. A rich young ruler uh, was offered an opportunity to walk with Jesus. Jesus said this to him. Remember what he said? Remind me what he said. Someone said it. Sell everything you have. Just go sell everything you have and walk with me. We, we, you know, think about that. First, let's just think about it in a natural sense. Go sell everything you have and come and walk with me. That is a radical shift. Change your entire life. Rich, young, ruler. You no longer will be rich. Your youth means nothing. And you will have no power. Just come walk with me. Oh, that's too hard. But think about it when we think about who Jesus is. You know, go sell everything you have and come and follow me. Whoa, he's, he, I can follow you? I can stay with you? I can walk with you? You see what Jesus is saying? What, what does it profit you if you gain everything, rich young ruler, but you lose your soul? Say it the other way around. Hey, rich young ruler, what do you lose if you lose everything, but you gain me? You lose nothing. What, what, what do you... It's not a sermon about the rich young ruler, so let's move on. Uh, look at these two pictures. I'm going to show you one. The first one by Thomas Couture is called Roman Decadence, and it symbolizes humanity gaining the whole world. There we go. It's up. And I've, I've highlighted... Sorry, that little block isn't what he painted... It's me highlighting the lady in the middle. Uh, you see her face. So she, she's in the middle. Here's everything. Here's all the pleasures. The picture is supposed to show Roman decadence. So there's all the sorts of pleasures and securities. There's wine and feasting and sexual pleasures and power and uh, social standing. Everything you can imagine in there. And then look at the face. He wants, there's only one face looking at the painter. And it's this face in the middle. Look at her face. It's empty. It's despondent. Put over that face. She, it's like her saying to us, I have found, I have gained the whole world. I am at the center of everything society idolizes. And it is nothing. Look at the next photo. You all know who this is. Who is this? Mother Teresa. She, she didn't gain a whole lot in this world. She had next to nothing. I mean, she's got some clothes on her back. But what she has is quite profound. And she might be able to say, what do you lose if you gain Jesus? What do you lose if you walk your life with your Savior? Look at her face. This isn't a smile for your camera face. Look at her wrinkles. She's got a lot of them. I can't wait to have a lot of wrinkles like this. I, I hope my wrinkles are like hers. Look at them. They're all, they're all around the smile. Her soul is good. Her soul is healthy. She's an integrated person. Her will, her mind, her body have been integrated by her soul in a connection with God. Can you show the next slide, Tilly, if you don't mind? She said, every time you smile at someone, it is an action of love, a gift to that person, a beautiful thing. 
You've got to go deeper, though, in order to be able to give people the gift of love. You need a restored soul. So we need our souls restored because our will and our mind and our body are not always in harmony. And we, lived in a, we live in a, a, um, a soul-sick world, a self-obsessed world. So the keeper in Ortberg's story, the keeper had to come back and work on the spring and then the spring returned to health. Um, and we have, to turn, you know, we have to turn back to come to health. So David says, uh, you know, he restores my soul. David knows of this turning back, this coming back to health, this need for restoration. That's what restoration is. You, you take something as it is and you make it as it should be. David knows that he has had to have restoration in his life. So how is the soul restored? Firstly, just two points here. Any sickness you have, you have to accept that it is real. It's one thing to be sick, but it's a more important thing to recognize that, there is, that you are sick. That's a humility there. For David to write, he restores my soul. There's a humility in the statement that David needs a soul restored. David is king. David is the most influential figure in the nation that is God's people. David is a picture of the Messiah, and yet David admits that he's the lowest of lowest. I need my soul restored. I'm nothing without him. And so we can join the sons of Korah who wrote Psalm 42. They wrote, Why are you so down, cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Remember what a cast sheep is? Do you remember what it is? It's a sheet that's stuck on its back. The way it gets there is it, it lies down, it stretches its legs to get some rest, and then it loses its balance. It's normally a fat sheep, pregnant sheep, or, he or heavy sheep, but it could just be a sheep. And it stretches out its legs and it loses a little bit of its balance. Uh-oh! And then it frenetically tries to find ground again and, and turns on its back. And a sheep that's lying on its back can't put itself back up. It's a cast sheep. And so in those elements, it will die. If it's hot, it will be, dying out, be dead in hours. If it's cold, it could last days. But it has to have a shepherd who comes and picks it up and puts it back on its feet. And then often the blood has drained from the limbs, so the shepherd has to keep it in between its legs and just rub the limbs to get the blood flowing again if you let it go. And then it, it kind of wobbles and falls over again. Pick it up, hold it, massage the legs until it can scamper off. And, go, and, and the story is that those sheep then run straight back into the flock. They are restored sheep. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? My soul is on its back. It needs the, the restorer. But then there's a confidence. The next line in that psalm says, Hope in God, my soul. You're on your back. You're stuck. You're cast down. Hope in God. Hope in the shepherd. You're not alone. You're vulnerable. You're needy. But there is hope. Shepherd, God, hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. There's a confidence. As much as there's a humility in who we are, there's a confidence in who God is. So you have to be humble and admit it. You have to see it. You've got to own it. You can even name it. I told you last week that I had the worst Friday and Saturday of my life. The reason was I had 36 hours of hopelessness. I experienced hopelessness for the first time in my entire life. 
I cannot describe how dark and horrible it was. But nothing has taught me that my hope is in God more than the experience of hopelessness. But God, I was thinking Saturday night as I told you, how on earth am I going to preach to them and say the Lord, uh, He helps me lie down in, in green pastures. And that's when it dawned on me, the only one who can help me lie down in green pastures. The only one who's the shepherd who restores my soul is Jesus. And suddenly, last, in, in the midst of great darkness, uh, last weekend, Saturday night, sermon notes well prepared during the week, but sitting Saturday night, nothing, hopelessness, this ray of light piercing in, Jesus is my shepherd. Nothing else can. It's amazing when truth becomes ground-level reality. Oh, that's good. Still in pain, but good. Right? So there's a confidence that comes in God. Not ourselves. Don't believe in yourself. Hope in God. We have a humble confidence in Jesus. I'm going to wrap it up by drawing us to think about Jesus. It helps to know... uh, what it's going to look like. You know, before Jesus said, so what, is it, what does it look like when our souls are restored? What does is, what is a healthy, integrated person look like that's connected to God and one another through a healthy soul, healthy will, healthy uh, mind, healthy body? Um, what, what's it going to be like? Do any of you, have any of you gone to gym and then you have like a picture? I had a picture up on, on my wall when I was a kid. Skin and bones. I was like, skin and bones is like Zeke. And I don't know if I'd been Diesel or someone else. I'm going to look like that. There's no chance I could ever look like that without a few extra illegal help. Uh, but there's, it's good to have a picture that we're working towards. And, and there's a picture that Jesus gives us of what, what we're going to go towards as we walk with Him, as He restores our soul. What does it begin to look like? What, is, what do we leave behind to go towards? And before He said, what does it gain a man to, if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Before He said that, in the same context, He said this. If any of you wants to follow Me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for my gospel will save it. There's the worldly paradox. Whoever wants to climb that ladder will get to the top and find there's nothing there, but whoever's willing to uh, go with me to the bottom will find that it's actually the way to the top, and the only way there is to pick up your cross and follow me. Well, what is the cross? Well, it's, it's literally where Jesus literally died for us, suffered in our place as a propitiation for us and standing in our place so that we could be forgiven. But why did He go to the cross? We know what the cross is. Why did He go there? What, what, is, what does John say? John, most famous, maybe most famous verse in, in the world. For God so loved. For God so loved the world that He gave His Son. We know what Jesus did on the cross. Why did He do it? Because God loved so when Jesus says, take up your cross, He's calling us to a life of love. Whatever sacrifice comes from walking with Jesus comes out of a life of love. A life of loving God and a life of loving others who God loves and how God loves. And this is something we are unable to do. But Jesus puts it before, puts us, gives us this option to pick, well, pick worldly gain or pick gaining with me. And so, we see the integrity of God's will, of God's mind, 
of God's being. I don't want to say body because I don't. God's not embodied. God's being. We see His integrity as He works through Jesus to love us in a practical way and bring us to salvation through faith in Christ. And as we uh, follow Christ, as we pick up our cross, it's an invitation to, to follow Christ in this life of love, to forsake the things of the world and to walk with Jesus, to have Jesus restore our wills or change our wills, to have Jesus change our minds, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans says, to have Jesus help us in changing our habits so that we too might become people who are integrated in our love for God and love for others. Healthy people, people whose souls are integrated in harmony with each other, all of our parts working together in love for God and others. You cannot cultivate your own will. You cannot cultivate your own truths. You cannot cultivate your own ways to lead to a healthy soul, to lead to a healthy life. Only God can. And so uh, uh, David writes, He restores my soul. What happens next? It says, He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Do you see the result of a restored soul? He leads me in paths of righteousness. What, what was the result of picking up the cross? Following Jesus. It, it's, not, it's not my righteousness restores my soul. It's not if I walk in righteousness, I'll have a restored soul. It's as He restores my soul, He leads me in paths of righteousness. It's as I pick up my cross and follow Him, I gain everything and lose nothing. I gain life. And there's no way to it but to Jesus, through Jesus. Listen to how he says, uh, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's different to self-obsession. I can do nice things for other people because I know it will make me look good. That's for my name's sake. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Mark leads himself through paths of righteousness for Mark's name's sake. Do you, do you see the difference there? I might treat you, I, I care, I have the ability to treat you well or speak to you nicely or give you compliments or help someone cross the road or give to a charity because that helps my namesake. You can look at me on a balance sheet and see, oh, he's a, he's a, he's a good person. But that's not the way that Jesus leads us as we walk with him. Something happens to our lives, to our wills, to our, our minds and to our bodies that we walk in a way that's for his namesake. We, we don't, it doesn't, we don't even consider that something might give us glory. It's not that our lives are for His glory. A restored soul lives accidentally or overflowingly. The streams coming down give life, and the one who gets glory is Him. So as David says, He restores my soul. I'm, I'm closing. Give me two minutes. Away from God... You cannot restore your soul. You, you will remain a disintegrated person. For that moment, for that day, for that week, for that month, for that year, for that decade, away from God, you'll be a disintegrated person. Outside of God's presence, you cannot restore your soul. You can try anything. You can pursue anything. You can gain the whole world. 
and have nothing. But he restores my soul. He restores my soul as I rest in him. He restores my soul as I repent and turn to him. He restores my soul as I go and and take my needs in prayer to him. He restores my soul as I go and search out his word to speak to my thoughts and feelings. He restores my soul as I walk in community uh, and we serve one another. He restores my... He restores my soul. I don't want to get you stuck on, on who does it. Jesus does it. He does it. That's the truth. And I think this church is great. This body of believers is great at understanding the grace of God. We know that He does it. And yet there's an active part that we play in the things that He does. Delirious wrote a great song called, Oh, Lead Me. We're going to play it in a minute over communion. But, the, but one of the lines says this, lead me to the place where I can find you. You see, that, you see what's happening there. You lead me. You lead me by your Holy Spirit. You lead me to the place where I can find you. That's not scripture. It's just a song. But it, it's a good description of, the, of what happens in life. That as we put effort into seeking after God, connecting with God, we discover in hindsight, oh wow, God by His Holy Spirit was, was aiding and helping and leading me there where, to the place where I could find Him. Don't be afraid of putting one foot in front of the other and doing something. Don't be afraid of weeding things out of your life even if it hurts to do it, even if it's difficult to do it. The things that are getting in the way, don't be afraid of doing that because as you do it, you will find the grace in Him. You'll be able to look back and go, wow, I I actually don't know if I could have done that without His grace and kindness. In hindsight, I can see how He was helping me. Don't be afraid. Lead me to the place where I can find you. By His Holy Spirit, He leads me to that place. One day, we're going to see Him face to face. That's where we're going. That's where He's leading us to. You can't get there by yourself. You don't know the way. I don't know the way. I haven't got the map. I've got Google Maps. I've got Apple Maps. I've got a bunch of maps. What I don't have a map to is Jesus face to face. I can't do it. You have to be able to go past time and space. You have to be able to enter a realm and an ability that you and I don't come anywhere close to even understanding, never mind entering. Jesus is going to bring us face to face. That's how fully He's going to restore us. Not restore my soul. He will bring us into His presence. But He doesn't leave us waiting for that. He gives us a communion. And He says, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in today's sermon language. Remember it is me that restores your soul. How does your soul need to be restored today? What, what do you need Jesus to do in your life today? What do you need to leave behind? What are you trying to gain but finding out that it's actually gaining nothing? It's losing. Come to the table. Come to Jesus. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Don't do it because the guy preached a long time and now you, you peckish. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember you need me. Remember to come to me. Remember it's me who restores your soul. Let go of everything else that you think restores your soul. Come to me. 
Be humble. It's okay to come needy. Be confident. Know that He restores my soul. We're going to play that song now. And then as it's playing, I wonder if I can invite you to communion. If you are a Christian, if you're not a Christian, I wonder if you'll just sit back and uh, we'll come and share it in a moment. You just uh, pause, and Dixon. I just want everyone to hear the, the whole song. If you're not a Christian, we'd love to share Christ with you, tell you about Him, what He's done for you. If you are a Christian, please join us in communion by coming to Jesus. If you don't know what it is, the, the juice represents His blood that was broken for us on the cross and the crackers, His body that was broken for us. His blood's spilled out. His covenant of love that through faith in Him, He says, you are mine. We are children of God through faith in Jesus. And this is a wonderful picture. Weekly, we try to take it every week. You could take it every day. But it's another habit of reminding ourselves, He restores my soul.